I um, I've been preaching for 30 years, but honestly, it's one of the things that I'd rather not do. I'd rather sit down and uh, rather sit down and hear someone else preach, because the weekend you're preaching, your weekend is completely, you know, destroyed. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for destroying my weekend. <laughs> You know, I woke up this morning, and the first thing that came in my mind was, Lord, if only you agree the worship and the praises that I give to you, that is enough for me. And I started to think, to think about people on this earth, on this planet, We are not even seen as worthy to worship. We can't go to them. We have no access whatsoever. And they're humans like us. And yet, we have no access to them whatsoever. Right? And the God of the universe who created absolutely everything says, you know what? I'm just happy when you worship me. That, for me, is big. It really is. And I sat there, and every single word that was on that screen, I said it wholeheartedly. Knowing and thinking, God, you agree my praise and my worship. And if if life, Christian life, is just about that, I think, and also from being a mercy, you know, there is this way of saying that the heart, no, the way to a man's heart is his stomach. That actually doesn't work in the mercy culture. Because in the mercy culture, I'm a mercy person, the way to a man's stomach is his heart. If you do not win his heart, he doesn't want anything from you. Seriously. So if God accepts our praises and our worship, it means that we are in his heart. And just that blessing, that's not even the preaching. I bring you greetings from uh, Ouagadougou, from Burkina Faso, Pastor Philippe of Nyalga Church, Dr. Zongo, and uh, all the people that some of you have been there and I've seen, and some who know about you send you greetings. I've been here for five weeks now, and I just can't wait to get on that plane on uh, a week tomorrow and to fly back. My family is doing very well. Uh, I try to keep in touch, though it's very expensive, so I can't always do it. But the last time I uh, heard about them, they're doing good, and they try to send me at least two or three pictures um, a week for the grandbaby, and I miss that one. I miss that one so good. I miss, I mean, you know, you have children and you, 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 you never think that you would actually love someone else's child like your own. I tell you what I do. And I look at that baby and I'm like, oh God, you're so good. I miss her so much. I even miss her than I miss her mom. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Church is doing good. Church is doing good. Um, over the last, since January till now, as sons of God, our local church had planted three churches. 
And I received an email yesterday that in June sometime we're planting a third church. Because uh, by 2021, Assemblies of God Burkina would um, be 100 years old. And the vision of the national team is to have a church in every single village. That means 8,000 Assemblies of God churches. It's going to be hard because we, we're not up to 5,000 yet. But we're definitely over 4,000 churches. So every week, every time, everywhere, you know, there's this business. And, you know, I mean, planting a church there is not like what you think here, okay? Yeah. It is not the same. We have young people from our church who will just, um, you know, gather some money. Like, they will make an announcement and everyone pay like five pounds. And then they go away on the weekend. They go on a Friday. And then on a Saturday, on a Sunday, they plant a church and then they come back. How cool is that? How cool is that? Honestly, the last time they went to a, a completely 99.9% Islamic village in Wayuguya. There were people there, when you say Jesus, they honestly and genuinely had no clue. They went there and they planted a church. I mean, it's actually Pastor Philip Rodrigo's village. They went there, not his, I mean, his, his, uh, his district. They went there, and within two days, they planted a church. And the Sunday that followed, they had about 42 people come to church. And the chief, and the chief of the village called them and said, look, come back. Please come back. We, we haven't heard that before. We were so happy. To, I mean, look, this is, this is business. This is business. And I often say this to people, by our guys, we have to do it now. Because if we don't do it, we don't know when we can do that till. I mean, think of this country. You can't, you can't, just, you can't just go somewhere and start speaking about Jesus, can you? You can, but not, not like you would. You, you, in Burkina, you go to a Muslim village, you go to whatever village, and you just shout, Jesus is Lord. Not only that he is Lord, he is the Lord. He is the only Lord. And you say that. You can't say that everywhere. So we would appreciate your prayers because we honestly want to have that done by 2021. 8,000 churches. The schools. The schools are doing good. Um, though this year, I have to admit, it's been really, really challenging. Challenging because the results that we had in July last year honestly blew my mind. I never, ever, ever thought we would get that result. And because of that, our school became like very famous in the village. And even the chief, I, before I came here, I went to see the chief, your friend, who went to the village school and took three of his children and brought them to our school. That is something. That is something. So it means, I mean, when we started, I didn't want a class to be over 50. This year, we had to recruit 77 in year one. And I said to the, the headmaster, look, stop. So this really is a challenge because right now we have 173 kids in three classrooms. 
and uh, you know, so financially, uh, it's been hard because the building is not completely finished yet. But the whole village know the importance. So everyone is kind of encouraging. Everyone is kind of doing something, and the government knows. So they're helping the way they can, and I'm hoping that they will continue um, to help, so that we will be able to do what we are called to do. And since we started that church, maybe you know, maybe you don't, we have planted two churches. Since we started that school, we have planted two churches, one literally one kilometer away from the school, and the other is like three miles away from the school. I know that's, that, that church is still under a tree. Still on a tree. If you don't know that a church can meet under a tree, you come to Africa, you will see about 40 people every Sunday. But now it's being a challenge because July will be very, very rainy. And every Sunday, we have to check that there is no rain. Otherwise, church is closed down that Sunday. So it's a challenge, but I'm hoping by the end of the year or even before August where rain really becomes torrential, we'll probably have a shelter for them to, um, yeah, to meet on Sundays and praise and worship God. So this is roughly about me and about what is going on in Burkina. We don't have too much time, and I'm going to just ask us to read uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 to 8. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 to 8. Okay, I think we have it on the screen. I have to turn because I can't read that. I'm old now. I'm not as old as David, but I'm, I'm really old now, so I can't read it from that screen. I'll have to turn here. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable. Because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria. He was also a mighty man in, ve- in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus, said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. I mean, King James is hard reading for us who are learning English. Yeah, that's the only version that you have, apparently, on this. Ah, okay. You never put it on the screen? Okay, so, new thing for you. (laughs) <laughs> and it came to pass I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to read I'm just going to read what it's here Because, yeah, I'm going to read what it's here which, which verse, From which verse? Verse 7 Yeah, let's read from verse 7 here 
I think it's better. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard what the king of Israel had, had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a message to him. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. We're going to stop here for, for, for the moment. I'm a firm believer of time spent in eternity that there will be a time when we will be in front before God and we don't have to check our watches. We don't have nothing to do. We have plenty of time. And that time we'll probably spend it. I, I, I know I will. Queuing, you know, to ask Jesus questions and some people, you know, Paul, Joshua, Peter, you know, I will go to Paul and say, Paul, come on, tell me, what well, were you married? Were you not married because you left that? You know, we, we're not sure. Some people say you were, some people say you were not. And also, Paul, what is a thorn in the flesh? You know, you left that, you know, open. And to Joshua, I would actually ask, how thick really were the walls behind, you know, that surrounded Jericho? And to Jesus, for instance, I would say, Jesus, what did you mean when you say you did not know the time you'll be coming back? We will be queuing, asking questions that the Bible actually don't have the answers. Because we have time forever. But I tell you, I think I will be queuing up to know, to find about that girl you've just read about. I will be spending time with her, asking her questions. So today, if you want a title... Of this message it is lessons from an unknown girl. Lessons from an unknown girl. Because that girl was not named. We don't know her name. Her parents are not mentioned. We don't even know where she came from. And yet that girl has so much we can learn from. Now the context of the story, I mean one, two kings, one Samuel, two Samuels, chronicles, used to be kind of a same sort of linked together. And even now, kind of linked when you read them through. But I'm not going to go into that. What I want to mention is Elisha the prophet. Elisha is a prophet from the northern kingdom. And if you know, if you remember... There was a time when all Israel was one kingdom with 12 tribes up to the time of Solomon. Solomon's taste for women was quite peculiar. He loved them all. He really did. And he had a thousand. How do you cope with 1,000 mothers-in-law? I don't know. <laughs> but it wasn't the taste 
of um, ladies in Solomon's, Solomon's life. That really was the problem. But marrying 1,000 women, he had, these women brought different gods in Solomon's palace. And so at the end of his life, his heart was kind of, you know, divided. And God said, look, I'm not happy with that. I'm going to split the kingdom. Because of David, my servant, I'm not going to destroy it completely. I'm I'm not going to take it all. But I'm going to leave you with two kingdoms, or two tribes. And I'm going to take ten and give to someone else. And from that point, we know that there has been the division, the kingdom of the south and the kingdom of the north. The kingdom of the north, capital is Samaria, and the southern kingdom is Jerusalem. So Elisha was a prophet of the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, if you take time to read all about it, you will realize that they did not have kings that were pleasing God. Because what the king did was to try as hard as he could to keep people away from going back to Jerusalem, from going back to worship, to really know who the real God is in order to control them. That's why you have prophets like Elijah, whose names mean the Lord is my God, and Elisha. And these prophets really had hard times. Because during those times, God was really not known in Israel. That's why from the story that we read, the king, when he heard about the king of Assyria sending someone for his leprosy to be healed, He was messed up. He didn't know what to do. For him, it is absolutely impossible. The king had sent him a request. And he knew it wasn't going to be possible. And that was going to create a war between them. And they know that war has been going on and on and on between Israel and Samaria, uh, between Israel and Syria and all that. That's why the king was completely destroyed in his mind. He had no clue who God is. Because God then was like Baal. Was like Astarte. Was like foreign gods that were known. That's why when you go back and read about King Eli- uh, Prophet Elijah. When he took um, the people to the mount. Mount Carmel and said. If God is God, follow him. If it is Baal, who is God, follow him. The Bible said. That people said nothing. Genuinely, they had nothing to say. Because at that point, they really did not know who the real God is. And I think in our lives, in our societies, it is really not that people do not want God. They just don't know him. They honestly don't. They're thinking of God as something else. They have completely lost who God was. And in that particular story, we see that. And in this story, we can speak a lot about many things. We can speak about spiritual leprosy. We can speak about healing. We can speak about perseverance. We can speak about a leader who doesn't know God. We can speak about the power of the enemy because Israel was always oppressed. But I've chosen today to talk about that little girl. A little girl 
We don't know how old she was. We don't know her parents. Her village is not mentioned. We didn't know. We don't even know what she looks like. But it's one thing that we know. That girl was a slave. That girl was taken captive. That girl has all the rights to moon. She has all the right to be depressed. She has all the right to be completely messed up. That's all we know about her. And yet, what she can teach us is absolutely amazing. Let's look at the way that girl knew God. Her knowledge of God is astonishing. Imagine a little bit. The Bible said that these guys went to Israel. It wasn't for peace. They didn't go on holiday. They didn't go to adopt children. It wasn't for an adoption. They went to Israel for a war. Naaman, on all his troops, they went to Israel to destroy, to kill, to burn. That's what they did at that time. And you can imagine that little girl playing outside. And maybe so, some dust, because in Israel it's dusty. Just like in Burkina. She could see some kind of cloud, dusty cloud coming. And she's like, what is happening? Then she runs in and says, Mom, Dad, there's something coming up. I have no idea what it is. And then everyone come out and they realize that there are horsemen coming. Soldiers coming. And they're not coming for peace. They're not coming on a holiday. They're not coming... They're coming for, to kill. They're coming to destroy. And you can imagine that little girl being there. And Naaman coming in. Getting off his horse. And started to destroy. It's highly likely that girl lost her father, her mother, her brother. All her family. It's likely that she saw her village in flame. And you can imagine even that that girl was there and maybe a soldier went, took a knife, wanted to cut her head and name and say, no, 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 leave her, leave her because she's pretty. I'm going to kill everyone but her I'm going to leave. And you can imagine her being tied in a rope behind a horse all the way from Israel to Syria. Because she's not going to sit on a horse next to someone. No. Then what they would do when you capture a slave is you know, tie him up and then he'll be running running behind the horse all the way. That's all we know about that girl. That's all we could think about that girl. 
But her knowledge about God is just amazing. You know, when it comes to knowing God, we can hardly get above faith. I mean, not many people had a real, I mean, like a physical encounter with God. Some people did. In a way of hearing his voice, in a way of seeing an appearance, and actually met people who met God that way. There's a girl in our church, we went to, um, she wasn't a believer, we went to a youth camp at Tenkodogo. By then, she just came for fun. She hated everything about Christianity. But her friends invited her, so she came. And um, we were in a house, not bigger than this, 247 young people, you can imagine, crammed in that house, and we're praying loud. I mean, if you've been to Africa, you know how we pray. Come on, we sweat in prayer, honestly. Together, together. You know, imagine 247 young people shouting, you know, for God. And that girl was there. She wasn't praying. But because she is in a camp, she had to obey me, go by the rules. So she was in there. And then in the middle of that noise, someone called her name. She turned around. No one was talking to her. So she's like, what's going on? And then the second time she heard her name again. And from that time she really started to freak out. She opened the window and thought maybe from outside there was no one. And then she tapped the shoulder of her, her friend. Did you, did you call me? And the friend said, no, I didn't call you. Help me. Even if I call you, how can you hear? And then the third time the voice called her again and added, I want you to follow me. And Deity, from that time, what I can, she can all remember is that she fell and she was screaming and they had to drag her literally outside to me. And uh, I can remember her saying, I hate Christianity. I hate Christianity. She was saying that all the way through. And I calmed her down and she told me her story. And now she is a firm believer of Jesus Christ. I mean, there are people who met God that way. I know another one. In the youth camp again. And she actually saw Jesus. She came outside and she said to me, Uncle Jules, I have seen something which I've never seen before. And I'm like, what is it? She said, well, I saw a white robe, like a beautiful garment, hanging. No one was wearing it, but it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. That girl is a Muslim. She's called Munira. And I said to Munira, look, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what. You, because she's not a Christian, I can't even explain. She went back in and ten minutes later, she came out. Well, before she went in, she said, I tell you what, seeing this, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I said, Munira, are you sure? Because you're Muslim. She said, I don't care. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And I led her to believe in Jesus. She went in, ten minutes later, she came out. And she said, oh, I've seen now the person who is wearing that robe. And she said, that person cracked a smile and holding his hand like that to me. 
people actually encountered God. I didn't. So when it comes to knowing God, it's hardly we raise above faith. And the problem with faith, though I strongly believe that faith is a sixth sense that we have, because I tell you what guys, no one can ever live without faith. Faith is not a God thing. In this world, you will not survive without faith. If someone says to you, I have no faith, ask him to add faith in God. You may not have that, but you cannot just have no faith. Because we are wired to have faith. Without faith, it won't work. When you're coming here this morning, you saw a traffic light, red, you put your hand on the pedal, the car stopped. Well, that's fair. You don't know how it works, but it did anyway. But then you saw a big truck coming behind you, and you're still shopping there. Why? Are you silly? No. Because somehow within you, there is something going on letting you know that this car, truck behind you, will actually stop right before it crosses you. That is faith. But it's so common that we don't see it. We don't even include that. But when it comes to knowing God, it's a different dimension. And that girl, you can picture her sitting with her parents, being told who God is. And she went there and she saw that Naaman was leprous. And she dared say, if he goes to Israel, he will be healed. Wow. That is powerful. That is powerful. Because imagine Naaman going to Israel and coming back without being healed. That girl, excuse me, would have been barbecued. Honestly, they would kill her. Because Naaman didn't go secretly. He went officially. With a letter. It was a delegation. It was a convoy. It was official. It was on the main news. Front page. That our commander is going to Israel. And he's going to be killed. He's going to be healed. That was a big thing. So that girl knew God seriously. And I tell you what. I really, really want to know God like that little girl. Know that he is God and he can do anything. One of my friends back home, it will soon be three years. Okay? He is the first person to be converted in his village. His village is, was 100% Islam till he became a Christian. Honestly. I know the village. And that guy was the, the secretary of the mosque in his area in Ouagadougou. And he was the, the second imam. 
So this guy was, I mean, he's intellectual. But he's, this guy was so deep in Islam. Then something happened in his life about 15 years ago. And he gave his life to Jesus. Right? In this village, he's hated. They even tried to kill him. I went to this house, this guy's house, and sat there. And I, I, um, he will tell me things that are happening. Spiritual things that are happening. Someone will be walking on his roof at night. And he could hear it. He will go up, because there's like a stair going up to his roof, and he sees nothing. I actually one day sat with this guy's house, and I saw a rock being thrown from wherever no one knows to hit the other wall and broke the wall. Almost, you, you could see it then. I was there that day. So this guy was so much attacked because he is a very prominent Muslim who gave his life to Jesus and they didn't like it. Three years ago, and he tried everything in his village. It wouldn't go. No one would listen to anything. Three years ago, he was in Waga when he received a phone call. His brother, whom I know, called him and said, My son, Mokhtar, had just been involved in a car, in a motorbike accident. And he died this morning. So, you know, in Africa, when it comes to things like that, everyone is involves everyone. So, he said, well, look, I really, really can't come to the village. Because the kid, funeral is not going to be three days. They're going to bury him today. So, you don't have to come even. I'm just calling you to let you know. And my friend, Belem, said, well, take the corpse, the young boy, and put him in my house. And lock the door. So, the whole village gathered, like they do, and that little boy is there. And Belem in Ouagadougou went in his office to pray. He prayed for one hour. And said, God, look, this is an opportunity for you to really show who you are in my village. An hour later, his phone rang. He picked it up. It's his brother. Oh, brother, Mokta is alive. Mokta is alive. Mokta is alive. This boy came back to life. He came back to life. Belem even didn't go there. And the next day, Belem went to his village. And the chief of the village met him before he act his car reached that place. And he said, look, you've been Christian for 15 years. We hated you. But your God really, really is God. I'm giving you 40 acres to build a church. I sat in that church in March. You see, knowing God, and I know God is not, is, is not doing things, you know, like in the theater. He is doing it as for a reason. And that girl here, she knew somehow that God could do something which 
will make his name big. Not just for the enemy, for the Assyrians, but even for Israel. Because he was, he's in his place, they didn't know God. And Elisha, healing that man from that little girl's faith, revealed God again. Secondly, she didn't let her situation dictate her faith in God. I tell you what, that girl would have been right just saying, God, I have nothing to do with you. I know my parents told me about you. I know our parents said that you did this and you did that. But Lord, I don't care. Because where were you when I was being taken? If you really are God, the way my father and mother told me, if you really are God, the way we knew about, why is this situation happening to me? Can I imagine that girl in that situation? Going to Assyria, knowing that she has no family. The Bible didn't say that. But for me, I can't see Naaman having that girl wave goodbye to her parents. No. Naaman didn't go there to adopt her. It wasn't adoption. It wasn't fostering. No. He went there to kill. I can't think of that girl thinking that there's a place called home. That's gone. That's, that's, that's finished. And yet... Her situation, instead of mourning, instead of just saying, God, I have nothing to do with you. He still be- she still believed in the power of God. Like I said, our faith in God, our knowledge of God cannot raise above faith. But you know when things happen in our lives and our faith is hit, it becomes a situation. Because faith is actually working good till something happens which we don't understand. And that brings doubt in our Christian life. And what happened to that girl was enough to shut every single bit of faith that she had. Every single bit of faith. First of all, God, I don't love you anymore. I don't like you anymore because you're probably not even there. God, and even if you're there, you're not for me. And if you're for me, that's what you're saying, but I can't see it. I don't feel it. So why do I have anything to do with you? In our Christian life, things like that happen. When we look around and there's nothing, We don't see it. We don't feel it. And that touches our faith. But that girl, no, it didn't. She still went and said, look, there is a God in Israel. Don't forget what I am like. Forget my situation. Forget that I'm an orphan. Forget that I'm a slave. Forget that these guys burn my country. Forget all this. There is a God. And my situation does not diminish his power. 
I don't know here, I heard in Africa many times, God, if you let this happen to me, it is your shame. No, 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 it's not your shame. It's not God's shame, it's your shame. The whole world can be destroyed and God will still be God. I mean, honestly, your situation doesn't make God less or big. No, God is God. That's why that girl is so important. And thirdly and finally, her forgiveness. That girl can teach at universities about forgiveness. How did she do it? I genuinely don't know. How can someone be so rude? How can someone be so cruel? How can someone be so mean? How can someone be so wicked to you? And yet, you want good things to that person is beyond my understanding. Why would she even think of sending Naaman to Israel to be healed? Why? Can you imagine what this guy did to her being a leper? And you, I mean, the only prayer, the only valid prayer that girl would have done is that Naaman loses all his limbs. I mean, honestly, that's the only valid prayer. No, she didn't. She went into that house. She saw that man. You're not going to tell me that she's going to forget what he did to her. Even if her parents were there, she, the Bible actually says that she was enslaved. And I tell you what, if you know about Jewish people, they don't like being slaves. They just don't like. They hate prison. And sometimes I even read today about how Israel will trade one soldier. One soldier who is in prison for 100 Palestinians. So I don't, I don't get that. But these guys, they, they will do anything. Not to be a slave. That didn't start today. That girl was a slave. Her spirit of forgiveness is huge. And I tell you what, in in, in life, most of all in communities like this, the only thing that can split you up is a lack of forgiveness. And for a long time, I, I actually did struggle with that. Because before I was a believer, I mean, you do me, you have me. Honestly. And even when I became a believer, one of the things that I um, struggled, I mean, like proper struggled, to get rid of is my desire to fight. Before I was a believer, I cannot... I cannot think of one time when there was a fight and I wasn't the first to hit. Because by the time you think, oh, this could turn into a fight, for me, it is already a fight and I'm on you. I, I loved, I, I remember being a teenager going to see a fight which didn't happen and I was so furious. Even when I became a Christian, that was really, really big. My anger 
would even eat me up. And I remember I shouldn't tell you this. And I'm not going to tell you this. Oh. No, I'm not going to tell you. You, you will hate me after that. See, in 1997, there was something happened in my life which I came to know that if I don't forgive, I'm going to be destroyed completely. And I started to really cry unto God. God, help me. Help me forgive because I was the least person to forgive. Honestly. I couldn't. I just wanted. You do me, I want to do you back. That's it. And I tell you, I started to really learn that forgiving is not for the person I forgive. Maybe I haven't fully learned it yet, but where I am now, you do me something bad, I'm not forgiving you because of you. I don't even care about you, right? I'm forgiving you because of me. Honestly. And someone said, the lack of forgiveness is like acid that you drink thinking that someone else would die. Can you imagine someone doing you something bad and you're so frustrated, you go, you get some acid and you think, okay, I'm going to settle this for good. This guy had done me so wicked. I'm going to drink that, that acid and he will die. Who's wrong? You. This guy's going to live. He's going to slim. He's going to shine. He's going to glow. And you are done. So I'm not forgiving because of you. I'm forgiving because of me. And looking at this girl here, who taught her that? Because she realized the only way I'm going to survive in this house the only way I'm going to at least grow and become adult in this house is if I forgive. Because if night by night I go to bed and I want this man and his whole family to be destroyed, that bitterness is going to eat me up. And at the end, my leprosy would be worse than his. And she said, okay, I'm going to do something. I'm going to just forgive. I'm going to go beyond forgiving. I'm actually going to pray that God restores him. How are we today? How much of God do we really know? Do we know him beyond what you thought of him? Do we know him even if situation in our life is not like we want it to be? Do you trust him even in our hard times? Not last. How is our capacity to forgive? Lessons from unknown girl. And the lessons continue. May God bless you.
Ouch. <laughs> Let's stand. I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to have some fellowship over a coffee. Father, we thank you uh, for that wonderful message. And uh, Lord, I, I pray as, as it hits us in our minds, that it would hit us in our spirits, that you, um, from those seeds planted, would cause something good to bear fruit. Lord, that we would grow in our understanding of you, that we would grow in faith, and that we would grow, Lord, in forgiveness. I pray that you help us with that, so that we can be good representatives of you and your kingdom. And I pray that the Lord would bless you, that he'd do you good, that he would pour good things into your life, that this week you would know that there is a God in heaven who loves you because you will turn a corner and there will be some blessing ready prepared for you from the living God. I pray that you would be blessed by God, that he would draw close to you, that his face would shine upon you, that he would give you favor in all that you do. And I pray that he would give you his wonderful supernatural peace that would keep you safe and strong and focused on him. I pray that you'd be blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Would help us if you would take your stuff through with you and um, if we can stack the chairs, that'd be great. Thank you. Don't forget to pick your children up.